Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> Do you know what I've just done? I've done my favorite thing in the world. I have just bought a table on eBay. I managed to get it for £20 because I'm a clever sausage like that. But it's somewhere not near my house. So what I've done is I've put it on Shipley.com. This sounds like an advert, listeners. It's not. It's the actual podcast happening. It's just this is the stuff I like to talk about. So Northampton shows where this table is. I live in Gloucestershire. So what you do is you go on Shipley.com. You say where your item is and where it needs to go. And people bid to take your item. I know I've spoken about this before on the podcast. So lots of people like driving up and down the country anyway, delivering things to different places. They say, hey, well, I'm driving from Northamptonshire, uh, never eat what it be, west anyway. I'll take it for you for, well, first quote we've had in, uh, £72. Hmm. Very high for what I'm saying. Almost four times the price of the table. Don't want that. Second quote, I've just had quick and fast deliveries, they're called. Uh, £65. So I'm going to consider them opening gambits, is what I would say. Because what happens is more and more people bid and they all start trying to outbid each other. It is so much fun. Now, what are we doing here? What's happening? First things first, this is a podcast. Podcasts are long audio form pieces of content that people like to listen to. This one is an LGBT one. We talk about the world from a queer perspective. I'm Chris Sweeney. The title of this podcast is Homo Sapiens. And today we've got a very wonderful episode because we are joined by the author and hit TED talker, Johan Hari. He has been on the podcast before. He's a very clever clock. And he has written a book called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention. And it's all about why our attention is so fragmented and we talk very much about like what that means specifically for lgbt people some fascinating insights into the minds but also fascinating discoveries he's made on the journey of this book he's written about how us all being fragmented and watching you know scrolling through our phones while we're watching netflix is happening on purpose these tech companies want us to be fragmented our attention it means dollars for them so We've got to be vigilant, people. Also today is St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day to all of our Irish listeners. Happy St. Patrick's Day to all of our listeners, quite quite honestly. Um, I do hope you enjoyed Sunday's bonus episode with The Guilty Feminist that we did for Comic Relief. I loved that episode. I just adore Deborah. And I loved hearing from all of you and all your voice notes. It was so brilliant. So 
if you haven't listened yet, go and have a listen on the feed. And please, it was for comic relief. And so therefore, I beg of you, if you can afford the cash, is to head to comicrelief.com forward slash podcast mashup and donate whatever you can. Don't forget, you can always contact us with your stories and your feedback. We're always up for a chat. Uh, hello at homosapienspodcast.com or at homosapiens on Instagram. And as always, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, people, and you could win a t-shirt. Hey there. What's that noise? It's City Desk, as my dad always used to say when he answered the phone. It's email time. Let's have a look. So we had some lovely feedback with the episode with Tom Cox, aka Unlikely Dad. Lots of you just saying, you know, how much you loved him and said such nice things about you know, adoption and what he said and how it opened up for you. Someone got in touch. I don't know if it's anonymous, so I'm not going to say the name. Loved this episode. It got me thinking, I never really wanted kids, but this sort of ignited a small thought about considering it. I mean, when I meet the right partner, I have to take them into consideration. Either way, I'm open to it somewhat. Well, that's lovely to hear because this is the thing. It's like, it, you don't have to do it. But I mean, that's the beauty of being a queer person. We can do whatever we want. We can make it all up. But there for you if you want it and and I know that adoption agencies as Tom was saying are great for queer people and really supportive of them so I just thought that was lovely to hear Paulina also got in touch um she said as a heterosexual adopter a lot of this resonated with me thanks Paulina that's wonderful to hear I'm foreign to the place I live and our daughter is not the same race as me and I'm older so I'm not like all the other mums it's not the same as being LGBTQ+, but we do often feel that the media doesn't respect or represent all aspects of our family life. Adoption full stop isn't represented much in the media, so it was great to hear so much of our and your story. Ah, oh, lovely. I live in a country where attitudes to LGBTQ+, are not good, and where you can't adopt if you are LGBTQ+. Paulina, will you write in and tell us which country you're in? I'd love to know. When I think of all the amazing people who could give homes to these children, my heart aches. It was wonderful to hear from someone who was able to. Adoption shouldn't be entered into lightly, but in our experience, it's just wonderful. I'm so happy that you're discussing LGBTQ plus adoption. Well, thanks. And what a lovely message, Paulina. Please do write in. Let us know where you are. I want to know more. You will also, I posted the guilty feminist quote, which was me confessing that despite being a gay man, I love to go to B&Q. And you were so funny in your responses. <laughs> um, Jack Lettuce said, Chris, we, we renamed lockdown B&Q time, was in there for essential shopping every other day. Love that. You see, when a crisis happens, also, the queers get painting, don't we? We'd start doing stuff. Johnny Penders, the skeletons are coming out of the closet. If you need help and support, I'm here. I love that. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, sustainable Chill uh, said B&Q is the best. Well, absolutely. Craig says, uh, came up with his own version. I'm a gay man and I love going to an old man's pub with a dartboard and a snooker table. Craig, the dream, no? Isn't that the best? I love going to an old man's pub and just sitting there and it's all just, I don't know, something so homely about it. Yeah, so that's it for emails. I think I am absolutely jonesing for you to hear a lovely chat with Johan. This is such an exciting chat. It's it's, it's just so opens your mind to so much that you kind of knew was going on but this the new perspective Johan offers is brilliant so I cannot wait for you to hear it here is the delightful Johan Hari you know until I turned 40 I thought jet lag was a myth (laughs) 
Now I'm 43. I get absolutely fucked. So I got back from Vegas recently because I've been there a lot during the pandemic for something I'm writing and I'm just fucking out of it. I'm like a hundred year old really? man. Really? Uh, it's yeah. it's not there's nothing that can combat if you're that tired it's like you cut a coffee it, it just you just got to ride it out right exactly exactly methamphetamine would not help <laughs> me at this point right there's literally nothing i think it's also a jet lag and then there's the lag of having been in mm. vegas which also has like an effect on yes. your body and vegas has been a completely bizarre place to spend a pandemic because you've spent the whole time surrounded by people whose response to a global pandemic is to say well this is the perfect time to go to vegas <laughs> so you're just surrounded by I mean, it's a place generally with a kind of air of madness but it's been particularly yeah. so you've been surrounded by literally deranged people the whole time yeah because you know? i've never been to vegas i feel like i really want to go and there was a period in your life where it's very like stag do and i just had to swerve that but i feel <laughs> like now i could go maybe and experience a bit more of because a lot of people live there and stuff right it's a huge place 2.2 million people live there yeah yeah. so it's a you know it's um it's funny because i know i've been going there for 10 years for this book that i'm writing uh i've finally got to actually fucking write Amazing. now as well yeah it's a completely you, I'll, I'll take you i'll take you i'll show oh, you all the secret wicked. spots right that's we're, we're getting all distracted oh my god i feel like a radio oh, see what you did there yeah because we want to talk about your book stolen focus why you can't pay attention which is utterly brilliant oh thank you what what i think is quite funny is whenever i read a book of yours i feel like i have been sleepwalking through life until now um <laughs> and it's like <laughs> Can't you see, idiot? <laughs> yeah, so that's how I felt. Yeah, it's a funny thing because everyone knows this is a problem. Mm. You know, I mean, so the reason I wrote the book is because for a really long time, I could feel my own ability to pay attention was getting mm. worse. Things that require really deep focus that are really like so deep to my sense of self, like reading a book, having deep conversations, watching long films, were for me getting more and more like running up a down escalator. Mm, yes. Do you know what I mean? I could still do them, but they were getting harder and harder. And I noticed this seemed to be happening to everyone around me. I was particularly worried about the young people in my life who seemed to be kind of whirring at the speed of Snapchat. Mm. So because of an experience I had with one of the young people in my life, I decided I needed to sort of investigate this, right? I thought maybe this is, maybe every generation thinks this, maybe nothing big is happening or maybe something's happening mm. to us. So I ended up going on this big journey all over the world from Miami to Moscow to Melbourne to Montreal, not just cities that begin with the letter M. <laughs> and I interviewed over 200 of the leading experts on attention and focus, different aspects of it. And what I learned from these the leading experts and obviously digging really deeply into their research was the scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make your attention worse. Some of them are in our tech. Actually, they range really widely from the food we eat to the sleep we don't mm. get. And I learned that actually loads of the factors that have been proven to make attention worse have been hugely rising in recent years. And so if your attention is getting worse, you're not imagining mm. it. It's not your fault. This is actually being done to us. Your attention didn't collapse. Your attention has been stolen from you. And once you understand that, it opens up a very different set of ways in which we can actually get our brains mm. back. But I think you're right, Chris. It, and it's similar to the previous conversation we had about my book about depression, Lost Connections as well. When you learn the evidence, you sort of think, oh, I knew that all along, mm. right? I mean, not every single one of them of the 12 causes. There's a few where I was like, oh, whoa, I really didn't think that was playing mm. a role. But, but actually, when you hear them, it sort of makes intuitive sense, right? But most important thing is it's only when you really understand the causes that you can then build the actual mm. solutions, right? And that, to me, is the most important bit. It's very easy to write a book about a problem. 
There's <laughs> a million yeah. of them, right? For me, the most important thing is, okay, we've got this problem. How are we going to fucking mm. solve it, right? And what was really exciting to me is I went to so many places from Long Island to Paris to Auckland where they were actually solving these problems that gave me real kind of hope. And, you know, it's personal, like you were saying, it was to do with you. You were experiencing the exact things you're writing about. But I ask you then... How the hell did you have the patience and focus to write a book that is 327 pages long? <laughs> it could have been could have been a pamphlet. <laughs> For someone who does have this fragmented attention thing, does writing help you actually be focused for a moment in a way that perhaps you're not? Well, writing helps me to access one of the one of the deepest and most important forms of focus that human beings have. So everyone listening will have experienced a flow state, even if you don't know the term. Mm. A flow state is when you're doing something that's really meaningful to you and you just get into the zone and time falls away and your sense of ego falls away and you're just in it. Mm. And flow is really important for attention because flow is simultaneously the deepest form of attention that people can provide and once you're in it, it's the least difficult form of attention to provide. When you're in flow, it's not like, I don't know, memorizing facts for an exam, like, oh, Jesus, what year did Henry VIII die or whatever. It comes really easily. It's like a gusher of attention that exists inside all of us. And different people get into flow doing different things. For me, it's writing, sometimes speaking. Mm. Other people, it might be making bagels. It might be doing brain surgery. Whatever it is, we all have different things. So obviously, I wanted to understand, okay, if this is, you know, the deepest form of attention and the easiest once you get into it, where do we drill to get this kind of gusher of mm. flow? So to understand this, obviously, I've read a lot of the science, but I also went to interview Professor Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. You have no idea how long it took me to learn how to <laughs> say that. Who is the, was, sadly, he died just after I interviewed him, an incredible person. Um, so he invented the concept of flow states. He's the first person to identify the phenomenon in the 60s. One of the most influential psychologists of the last century. And Professor Csikszentmihalyi discovered a huge number of things about flow, but I think for anyone listening who wants to maximize their chances of getting into flow, there's no guarantee, but you can increase your odds. There are three things I took from his work that really helped me. The first thing is, if you want to get into flow, you've got to narrow down to one goal and for a good while, set aside all your other goals. I want to paint this canvas. I want to write this chapter. I want to learn to play this tune on the guitar. Whatever it is, you've got to narrow down to one goal. If you're trying to do loads of things at the same time, you'll never get into mm. flow. Secondly, you've got to choose a goal that's meaningful to you. Attention evolved to attach to meaning. You know, a frog will look at a fly longer than it looks at a stone because a fly is meaningful to the frog and the stone mm. is not, right? If you're trying to get into flow with something that isn't meaningful to you, your, your attention is just going to slip and slide off it. And the third way, and this is a bit counterintuitive, is it will help if you do something that's a bit difficult, that's at the edge of of your abilities at the edge of your comfort zone so let's imagine that you were a medium talent rock climber guilty your honor <laughs> except to, to just to just to get into flow you don't want to just climb over your garden wall that's going to be mm. too easy equally you don't want to suddenly tomorrow try and climb mount everest it's going to be way too much you want to try and climb a slightly higher and harder rock face than the one you did last time flow begins at the edge of your comfort zone mm. so if you do these three things you narrow down to one goal you make sure it's a meaningful goal to you and you push yourself to the edge of your abilities, but not beyond them, 
you're really significantly likely to tap into this deep form of focus that's inside you. So for me, writing is the way I get into that zone. I have to do lots of things to protect that space in my life. But yeah, that that to me is um, a really important one. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Tell me briefly first this moment that you speak about in the book that kind of triggered the whole thing. Um, I've got a godson who I call Adam in the book who, when he was nine, he developed this brief but freakishly intense obsession with Elvis Presley. I never understood where it came from. But it was especially cute because he didn't know that Elvis was like a cheesy cliche. So I think he was probably the last person in the history of Western civilization to do an entirely sincere impression of Elvis. And he would often get me to tell him the story of Elvis's life again and again. And obviously I skipped over the bit at the end where Elvis shit himself to death on the toilet. And one night when I was tucking him in, I was talking to him about Graceland where Elvis lived. And he looked at me really intensely and he said, Johan, will you take me to Graceland one day? And I was like, yeah, sure. Knowing like the way it is with nine-year-olds next week, it'll be Legoland mm. or whatever. And he said, no, really, do you absolutely swear one day you'll take me to Graceland? And I was like, sure. And I didn't think of that again for 10 years until so many things had gone wrong. He dropped out of school when he was 15. And by the time he was 19, he literally, this is not an exaggeration, he spent almost all his waking hours alternating between his iPad and his iPhone. And his life was just this blur of WhatsApp, porn, YouTube, Snapchat. And I remember one day we were sitting on my sofa just behind where my laptop is now. And all day I'd been trying to get a conversation going with him and he, he was just staring at the screen, staring at the screen. Nothing was getting any traction. It was like no, nothing still or serious could get any friction in his mind. And to be honest with you, Chris, I wasn't that much better. You know, I wasn't that much mm. better. I was staring at my own devices. And I suddenly remembered this moment all these years before and I was like, hey, let's go to Graceland. And he was like, what? He didn't even remember this Elvis obsession. I was like, I reminded him and I said, no, seriously, this is no way to live. Let's break this numbing routine. Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's go all over the South. But you've got to promise me one thing, that when we go during the daytime, you'll leave your phone in the room. And I could see it excited something in him. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And literally, I think it was two or three weeks later, we took off from Heathrow to, to New Orleans where we started. Amazing. And about two weeks after that, we arrived at the gates of Graceland. And when you get to Graceland now... That this is even before COVID, that there's no person to show you around, right? What happens is they hand you an iPad, you put in earbuds and the iPad shows you around. It says, go left, go right, 
And in every room, there's a, a representation of that room on the iPad. So what happens is everyone walks around Graceland just staring at their iPads, right? And I'm walking around getting more and more like irritable. Like, why is no one looking, looking around them? And we got to the jungle room, which was Elvis's favorite room in Graceland. It's full of fake plants. It's had better days, mm-hmm. frankly. And there's a, a couple, Canadian couple standing next to us. And the man turned to his wife and said, honey, this is amazing. Look, if you, if you swipe left, you can see the jungle room to the left. And if you swipe right, you can see the jungle room to the right. And I laughed. I thought he was kidding. And I turned and looked at them and they're just swiping back and forth. And I, I leaned over and I said, hey, but sir, there's an old fashioned form of swiping you could do. It's called turning your head. Because <laughs> look, we're actually in the jungle room. Yeah. You, you don't have to look at the digital representation of it. We're, we're literally there. Yes. And they looked at me like I was insane and, and backed out the room. And I turned to my godson to laugh about it. And he was standing in the corner staring at Snapchat because from the moment we landed, he could not wow. stop. And I went up to him and I did that thing that's never a good idea with a teenager. I tried to grab the phone out of his hand. And I said, I, I know you're afraid of missing out, but this is guaranteeing that you'll mm. miss out. You're not showing up at your own life. You're not present at the events of your own existence. And, and he stormed off and I, I wandered around Memphis on my own that, that day. And I found him that night in the Heartbreak Hotel across the street where we were staying down the street a bit. And he was sitting by the swimming pool and he was staring at his phone and I went up to him and I apologized. And he didn't look up, but he kept staring at Snapchat and he said, I know something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's when I thought I need to look into this because I realized we had we had gone away to get away from this problem of being present. But this problem of people not being present was everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's when I thought, okay, something something's happening here. What is it and how do we deal with it? Yeah, it's funny because I remember going to see the Mona Lisa in Paris, pre-phones. And you go into this room to see the Mona Lisa. And if anyone listening has been, uh, there is just a crowd in front of it. You can't see it. But people were just walking up to the Mona Lisa with their video cameras or cameras, not camera phones. It was pre then taking Mm. a photo without looking at it because they'd raise their hand up over the crowd take the photo and then just mm. walk off they weren't experiencing it for real and i remember standing there going this is so weird and it's funny how you know you're talking about that experience in graceland where people weren't even looking around the room that they were in because they're so glued to a screen but it makes me think of the metaverse and snapchat and is that what is going on that we're trying we're just sort of gradually passing through the screen till we get to the other side I think there's lots of things going on and there's there's lots of things that have ha- changes that have happened. Many things have changed for the better obviously. We're gay. We know very well not to be nostalgic yeah. for a, an artificial past, right? Many things are much better now than they were in the past, but there's been a series of changes that the scientific evidence shows has profoundly degraded our attention and focus. So I'll give you an example of one that I think we're playing out for pretty much everyone who's listening mm. now. Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, Damn it, you're the, you're the reason. No, go on. <laughs> so I went to MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, to interview a man named Professor Earl Miller, who's one of the leading neuroscientists in the world. And he said to me, look, you've got to understand one thing about the human brain more than anything else. You can only consciously think about one or two things at a time. That's it. This is a fundamental limitation of the human brain. The human brain has not changed significantly in 40,000 years. It's not going to change on any time scale any of us are Mm. going to see. You can only think about one or two things at a time. But what's happened 
is we've fallen for a mass delusion. The average American teenager now believes they can follow six or seven forms of media at the same time. So what happens is scientists get people into labs, not just teenagers, older people as well. And they get them to think they're doing more than one thing at a time and they monitor them. And what they discover is always the same. You can't do more than one thing at a time. What you do is you juggle very rapidly between tasks, right? So you go, uh, what was that on WhatsApp? What did Chris just ask me? What's on the TV over there about Ukraine? Wait, what's this new message on Facebook? Oh, right, I'm answering Chris, mm. right? So, And it turns out that juggling comes with a really big cost. The technical term for it is the switch cost effect. When you try and do more than one thing at a time, you will do all the things you're trying to do much less competently. You'll make more mistakes. You'll remember less of what you do. You'll be much less creative. And that sounds at first when you hear about it like a small effect, right? Turns out the evidence is this is a really big effect. I'll give you an example of one really small study that is backed by a wider body of evidence that shows Mm. that. Hewlett-Packard, the printer company, got a scientist in to study their workers. And they split the workers into two groups. And the first group was told, just get on with whatever your task is and you're not going to be interrupted. And the second group was told, get on with whatever your task is, but you're going to have to answer a heavy load of emails and phone calls. So pretty much how most Mm. of us live, right? And at the end of it, the scientists tested the IQ of these two groups. The group that had been interrupted scored on average 10 IQ points higher than the group that hadn't been interrupted. To give you a sense of how big that effect is, if you and me spoke to Fat Spliff together now, Chris, and we got stoned, our IQs would go down in the short term by five points. I'd also be extremely paranoid. <laughs> I fucking hate cannabis for that reason. I mean, I think it should be legal. Me Many too. people like it, but oh my God, it makes me so paranoid. Yeah, not my poison. So you'd be better off... In the short term, there's obviously a longer debate about the effects of cannabis on IQ. But in the short term, you'd be better off sitting at your desk, smoking a fat spliff and not being interrupted than you would sitting at your desk, being constantly interrupted, but not smoking mm. cannabis. Now, clearly, you'd be better off doing neither smoking cannabis nor being interrupted. But this, the evidence for this is really clear. A different study found if you receive eight text messages an hour, which doesn't sound like very much, it lowers your brain power for the main thing you're trying to focus on by 30%. That's a huge amount of brain power. This is why Professor Miller said at the moment, we're living in a perfect storm of cognitive degradation mm-hmm. as a result of all these interruptions. And uh, you see, because I think two things that are very interesting that you go into in the book about this is, so you can go, uh, great, well, you know, I am a working parent who needs to have WhatsApp on because the kids are ill while I'm trying to still be at work and blah, 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 blah it's modern life shut up but actually the thing that you you phrased was there are people working in places to make you be as drawn to all these different stimuli as possible you know it's one person on one side of the app i.e you versus hundreds of engineers trying to make sure that you keep coming back right that's the thing that's really chilling so there's lots of things going on and you're, you're absolutely right. If you're interrupted, it takes you on average 23 minutes to get back to the level of focus you had before you were interrupted. But most of us never get yeah. 23 minutes without being interrupted. So we're constantly operating at this diminished level. And there's lots of things going on that are causing that. So there's some aspects of our tech. It's not the existence of tech, right? You could have tech that's designed not to hack our mm-hmm. attention, but to heal our attention. That's perfectly plausible. I, I go into that in the book. But it's this sort of two, in a sense, there's two levels going on if we think about the tech, right? At the moment, we're using technology that is designed to hack and invade our attention. Mm. I'll talk about why in a second. And any moment in human history where that technology arrived, it would have had some effect on us. If you think of that technology as like a virus, 
it arrived at a moment when our collective immune system was already mm. down, right? And we were more vulnerable to being infected by it. So all sorts of really big changes have happened that have undermined our ability to focus. We sleep much less than people did in the past. In fact, we sleep 20% less than people did a century ago. Sleep is essential for focus and attention. We, the food we eat is profoundly damaging our ability to focus and pay attention. We're exposed to air pollution that causes brain inflammation that makes it much harder to focus and pay attention. We're more stressed. Stress undermines focus and attention. There's a big array of factors. And then this technology arrives that is designed to hack and invade our attention. So it's like any one of these factors would be harmful, mm. but the fact they've all combined with each other is particularly damaging. So you're absolutely right, Chris, about the way the technology works. So to understand this, I, I went to Silicon Valley and I interviewed people who invented key aspects of the world in which we live, you know, who 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 design key parts of the internet, key, many of the aspects of the apps, people who've been at the heart of the machinery that our kids and us are obsessed with. And it was fascinating to see how frightened people are in Silicon Valley of what they've done. There was a moment, one of the people I spent a lot of time with, Dr. James Williams, who'd been a very senior strategist at Google. He spoke at a tech conference full of people who literally have designed stuff that you use and I use and pe people listening have used today. And he said to them, if there's anyone here who wants to live in the world that we're creating, put up your hand now. And nobody put up their hand. And what really helped me in interviewing these people and learning about how this machinery is designed and how it currently works is the way this is explained to people could often make them feel like they're living in the matrix, right? You explain it and they're just like, oh my God, we're fucked. Mm. What do you mean that all these powerful forces? But actually, I found it very empowering because this technology doesn't have to work this way, right? Um, so anyone listening, don't do this. But if you if you opened Facebook now or Twitter or TikTok or any of the social media apps, those social media apps start to make money in two ways. The first way is really obvious. You see ads. We all know how that works. The second way is much more valuable to the social media companies. Everything you do on these apps is scanned and sorted by their artificial intelligence algorithms. So let's say that you mention that you like, I don't know, Bette Midler, Nigel Farage, and you tell your mum you just bought some nappies. Okay, so it clocks. You're a man who likes Bette Midler. You're probably gay. Um, no disrespect to any straight people who like Bette Midler. Okay. Uh, you like Nigel Farage. You must be pretty right wing, uh, probably. And oh, you talk to your mum about buying nappies. You've got a baby, right? So it's building up a very complex profile of you. It's got tens of thousands of data points. It knows who you mm. are. Partly that's so they can sell you to advertisers. You're not the customer. You're the product they sell to advertisers. So it's so that advertisers can target you. And partly... It's about figuring out what the weaknesses in your attention are that will keep you scrolling. Mm -hmm. Because the longer you scroll, the more money they mm -hmm. make. Every time you pick up the phone and scroll, they start to make money. And every time you put it down, that revenue stream disappears. So all of this engineering genius in Silicon Valley, all of these algorithms, all of this AI, it's all designed towards one thing. Figuring out how do we get Chris to pick up his phone as often as possible and scroll as long as possible. That's it. That's their business mm -hmm. model. Just like the head of KFC, all he cares about in his professional capacity is, did Chris buy any KFC today? All these companies care about is how long did Chris scroll today? How many times did he pick up his phone? Yeah. Well, too many, I'll tell you that. Because it's, um, 
yeah, it, it, it is it is addictive. And I always forget that you do this. I remember you did this last time. You write down things when we're talking, don't you? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, you know, you see that film Memento where Guy Pearce is an obscenely hot person whose memory resets every day. I'm essentially that with like every three minutes if I don't write things down. Like the tourist. Exactly. 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 <laughs> like you're... Yeah, and, and you actually found perhaps the only person more obscenely hot than Guy Pearce. <laughs> I did an Odisha story with him. That's so. really funny. I'd not thought about that. And, and, and by the way, Guy Pearce has remained insanely hot. Have you seen Kate of um, Kate Winslet's, what's it called, uh, Mayor of Easttown? I have, but I didn't get as far as that because uh, my attention... Oh, I was thrilled to discover because Guy Pearce was my foundational crush when I was like really? nine or ten in Neighbours. And... I was so thrilled that he's remained at peak hotness at every stage. Yes. He's always been 10 years older than me. And there will surely be a year when Guy Pearce is less hot than he was the year before. But that year has not yet come. Also, he did a film with someone I know. And he's really, really nice, apparently. That pains me. If I was as hot as Guy Pearce, I wouldn't be nice to a single person ever. <laughs> That's the end of part one. Stay tuned for part two. More Johan, more searing revelations about your life and ours. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.